Thank you, God. Thank you, God, today. We just pray that this is what you meant when you said, let there be church. And we experienced this, and it's my prayer that you said, this is good. As we've come to you, and we've worshiped you, and now we get to hear from you in teaching, I pray that you speak to every one of us right at the point of our deepest need, our longing, and what you know we need to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're going to have a seat, that'd be wonderful. Came in this morning, saw the choir, saw this brand new set behind me. I thought, this is going to be a great day. And then look at you, too. It's like, awesome. Really glad that you're here today and with us. And that's going to jump right in this morning. And so look in your program. Grab these message notes out. You're going to need these uh, because we're going to look at several different Bible verses today. If you have your Bible, you can open to Galatians chapter 5 and look at the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll be covering, and also Ephesians 3. You might want to turn there as well uh, as we can look at some different verses today that God calls out to us. And we're going to look at three verses uh, from Galatians 5 uh, over nine weeks. And so we're just going to dig into these three verses and uh, the indications that he, that uh, Paul is writing that we are in Christ is that we would have the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're looking at this, we're looking at it from the idea and the concept that we're going, then if we have the fruit of the Spirit, that we're going to stand out from a world who doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit. Doesn't that make sense? That's the way it's going to be. We're going to stand out. What I love about this, what we decided, I went to uh, Bobby, uh, our children's pastor, and Dennis, our student pastor, and I said, at the first of the summer, and I said, would it be possible for students and children to also do stand out with us? And so I just love their flexibility, and they agreed, and so they worked up a similar series that our students and our children will be going through all at the same time. And so parents, you can have discussions at home. There'll be a synergy and alignment that happens in our church that's just wonderful. See, the key is God wants those who know him to be his ambassadors as we stand out in the world. And then I've called the subtitle of this, Influence for the Common Good. Because we're not standing out in the world for us. We're standing out in the world because God's put us here to be an influence for the good of everyone. Uh, and I believe that this series is going to show us how you and I, how we can build bridges of connection as we navigate the tension in our culture, the tension between the right and the left. The tension between the religious and the non-religious. The tension between the Republicans and the Democrats. See, no matter how we vote on November 8th or where we stand on the issues of our day, God wants us to be influencers for the common good in a culture determined to create division and disunity. He wants us to be the peace agents. So let's just jump in. Let's read these verses again that Mark read, Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Now, I covered these verses in depth when we went through our Galatians series at this, uh, as we ended the summer. Or started the summer. And so you want to go back maybe to that message and look at the message that day. We talked about change 
and what Paul is referring to. But what we're going to do now is we're going to just take this, these verses right here, and Paul is giving us a picture, and the picture is someone in Christ who's thriving, someone in Christ who's flourishing. They're rooted in the character and nature of Christ. So first of all, we just need to know these are the character traits of Jesus that were just listed here. These are descriptions of someone who's becoming like Jesus, and then Paul calls this fruit. He calls it fruit. So you might want to write this down on your notes. Fruit is the product of growth. wonder what fruit is. It's the product of growth. I have a tree in my yard. It's a plum tree, and that plum tree grows plums, and so the fruit is what is, comes from that tree. I go out and pick a plum off of that tree, one of the really interesting, interesting things about it, I bite into a plum. It's not an avocado, is it? No, it's a plum. And so the fruit that is growing is, the, is growing from the emphasis of, emphasis of Christ in our life. Now, of the Spirit, so fruit, of the Spirit tells us the power of the growth. The power of the growth. It's referring to how we grow. Who's actually in charge? Is it up to me or is it up to God? And this is where it gets a little bit tricky, because we're talking about these character traits in these series, and there are some things we can do that will encourage growth. There are some things we can do that will encourage us to love, or to be kind, or to bring peace or patience into our lives. There's some things we can do to cause these traits to actually increase in our lives, and there's also some things that we can do that will keep us from growing in these traits. But the reality is, is for the true, deep, lasting change to happen, it's not based upon what I do, but on what God does in me. So this is kind of where the mystery comes in, the mystery of how God works in our lives as it comes into play. So listen really carefully. Okay, I just want to set this up as we start today. In this series, we're going to do our best not to teach you what to do. Not to teach you what to do. This is not come in and get a spiritual to-do list about the things you do in the week in order to become more loving, more patient, more joyful in life. That's not the purpose of this series. It's not a list. These are the things that God says, listen to this, he is responsible for doing. He's responsible for making this happen in your life. Only the Holy Spirit can change Ron Thompson and make Ron Thompson more like Jesus. I know me too well. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Now, sure, people can be loving. I'm not saying that someone can't be loving without Jesus. Sure, people can be kind. Sure, they can be patient. They can be gentle. You don't need to know Jesus in order to act in these ways. But if you're going to be transformed in such a way that the fruit characterizes who you are, and how you act consistently, if they're going to be continually produced in your life, you must know Jesus, okay? And you must receive his power. So we're talking about a supernatural thing that happens in people who know Jesus Christ. You must, in order to have the fruit of the Spirit, you must have Jesus living inside of you. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work to change you, he will produce fruit through you that you could never produce on your own with your own efforts. And when you do that, this is the beautiful part of this, you will flourish, you will thrive. And you're thriving and you're flourishing 
will influence everyone around you for the common good. You won't have to think about it. You won't have to plan it. You won't have to will it. It will just be you acting as you were made to be. Just acting as you were made to be. It will be you being who you're made to be. I saw a great example of this in the Olympics. Aren't we sad the Olympics are over, right? Just amazing time that we got to watch the Olympics this year. Uh, And so I saw this in the men's synchronized diving team. These two guys surprised everyone, and they went beyond all expectations and won the silver medal for synchronized diving. And at the moment when they were at that thrill of victory, if you can imagine that thrill of victory, it's pulsating through their veins. When the adrenaline had to be spiking at its peak, here's how they responded. Let's watch this. Mean to come out and medal here in the synchro event? Yeah, I, I just think the past week there's just been an enormous amount of pressure, and I've felt it. And um, you know, it's just an identity crisis. When my mind is on this and thinking I'm defined by this, then my mind goes crazy. But we just know that our identity is in Christ, and we're just we're thankful for this opportunity to be able to dive in front of Brazil, in front of the United States, and uh, it's been an absolutely thrilling moment for us. You now have gold, silver, and bronze Olympic medals. How much does this free you up for the individual event? It does. It takes a lot of pressure off of me, but um, this this never could have happened without Steele, without him pushing me, without him loving me well, uh, encouraging me, and my wife has just been a solid rock, and uh, I, I couldn't have done it without them. Well, and Steele, for you, your first ever Olympics, first ever Olympic event, how were you able to maintain your composure so well? I think the way David just described it was flawless. The, the fact that I was going into this event knowing that my identity is rooted in Christ and not what the result of this competition is just gave me peace it gave me ease and it let me enjoy the contest if something went great i was happy if something didn't go great i could still find joy because i'm at the olympics competing with the best person the best mentor the just one of the best people to be around um so god's given us a cool opportunity and i'm glad i could have come away with an olympic silver medal in my first ever event all right congratulations that's awesome isn't that the whole world somebody was telling me before the first service that There was actually a news story, I'm going to try to find this, to use in one of the coming weeks, that talked about how many Olympic athletes gave credit to God, very first sentence of the things that they said, and it was just astronomical this year, of the single athletes and the groups of teams that gave glory to God and what they did. So folks, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to learn who God made us to be. So that's one of the first things. We're going to learn who God made us to be, and we're going to learn how God wants us to act based on who he made us to be so that at all times, in every situation, under any kind of condition, okay? It's going to get, it's going to get tough as we do any kind of condition. Our reflexive response is the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit working inside of me, and then our influence is for the common good. As we do that, so that in an age of hate and anger and name calling and division and election rhetoric and labels, we can stand out as people who've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us as these nine fruit are produced in our lives. Now, here's what John Stott says about the fruit. He says this, the fruit of the spirit is a cluster of Christian graces that betray the attitude of the follower of Jesus toward God, toward other people, and toward himself. So we're going to look at that in this series. Toward God, toward others, and toward himself or herself as we go through this. So I want to just jump right in today. And with that as an introduction, we're going to talk about love today. 
And by design, love is the very first fruit mentioned because it's the most important, most important one. I love this quote by Timothy George from his commentary. He says this, Paul may well have put a period after the word love and moved on to the conclusion of his letter. Did he really need to list the other eight facets of the fruit of the Spirit? Because if you get love right, everything else will be right. Isn't that a great quote? You get love right, everything else will be right. Love is the key fruit. It's the foundation. I read this this week that kind of fits the whole thing. Love is the highest virtue. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love resting. Patience is love forbearing. Kindness is love serving others. Goodness is love seeking the best for others. Faithfulness is love keeping promises. Gentleness is love putting the needs of others first. Self-control is love in control. So it's all based on love. Now, in the Greek, the word that Paul uses here is a word called agape. Some of you are familiar with that. Others of you don't have any idea what that means. But what agape means is it means a willful, selfless, sacrificial action towards someone else based upon their need. So let me just state that again, okay? It is a willful, selfless, sacrificial action toward another based upon their needs. It is a sacrificial love that seeks the best of another with no attachments or no conditions that have to be met. Romans 5 says, everyone who's in Christ has love. It says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if you don't think that you can love someone because of how different they are than you, you don't think you can love someone because of what they have done to you, you need to realize today that it's possible to love anyone and everyone because of the love that he's poured into you. It's, no, it's okay. Not to like, it's okay not to like someone's actions or behavior or choices or attitudes or preferences, but it's never okay not to love them. Never. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13... The whole chapter's about love, and it ends with this. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And love is the greatest of these. Let love be your highest goal. Let love be your highest goal. A few weeks ago, I told you guys about uh, going to Orlando for a family vacation. And when I went there, I knew that I needed to take my family to the Pulse nightclub, not because we needed to go there for the you know, entertainment, but because of what had happened there. And 49 people had been slaughtered. And uh, so I took my family there on a Sunday morning. Here's a picture of that I took while we were outside. Uh, all of these uh, memorials are built on both sides of this, si- this sidewalk here uh, for each of the individuals and some of them for collectively for all of them. And it was so moving to be there, to just realize the loss of life and to pray and to show my respects uh, for those uh, families, as we can imagine the grief over the loss of their loved ones in that tragedy. Now, there were some responses by followers of Jesus that, um, from my perspective, didn't show love. And one of them we all read about, it was right down in our backyard in Sacramento. Or on, this happened on Saturday. On Sunday, this gentleman stood in his, on his stage at his church in Sacramento. And this is what he said. 
on Sunday morning after this incident happened. He said, I wish the government would round them all up and put them against a firing wall, put a firing squad in front of them, and blow their brains out. This is in church on Sunday morning. And then he says, the tragedy is that more of them didn't die. Okay, this is someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, people. This is someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Now, I want to juxtapose that with another picture, okay? And the other picture is of a church in Orlando. Uh, It's called Discovery Church, and their pastor is Joe Jackson. And I'm going to show you a news story that was done on their response to what had happened in Orlando. Let's watch this. Well, hope comes in many unique forms during time of tragedy, and a local church in Orlando is a really good example of that. Discovery Church is offering free funerals to ease the burden for victims' families. And Melanie Michael continues our team coverage from Orlando tonight. Mel, what a beautiful offering to make to the people who really may not be able to afford that. Hey, Stacey, good evening to you. We are coming to you live from inside Discovery Church today, and what is going on here is absolutely incredible. So kind and so generous. Those families are going through enough already, overwhelmed with what's happening before them, and now they have to lay to rest their loved ones. This church is trying to help out by healing Orlando. Their worlds have fallen apart, and their hearts are hurting. The loss that these families are experiencing can be seen on their faces. They are in pain and overwhelmed. This moment brings Orlando pastor Joe Jackson to tears. I can't imagine what they must be going through right now. And uh, so I want to say sorry uh, to them. And uh, I pray that the healing process would start. This pastor from Discovery Church knew right away he wanted to help. He couldn't sit still, not amidst tragedy. He and other leaders at this Orlando church created a think tank to ease the burden. It's our duty to love everyone. <laughs> it, uh, no question about it, to love everyone, so we want to help out in whatever way we can. Discovery Church in Orlando is offering a unique approach to help those during this time of grief. Free funerals. The church established a fund and reached out to local officials, alerting them that help with heart is here basically it's a fund just to take care of any needs that may arise and to be totally honest we don't even realize all the needs that uh, may come up at this point there's just a ton of needs out there and our neighbor is struggling we have to do something yeah that's a pretty big difference isn't it in responses now Joe Jackson said this. He said, it's about loving people and be present with people. It's about loving people and being present with people. And I'll just add, without judging. Now, I, I just want to go a little deeper here. And this is, I just think it's a Holy Spirit moment that he's leading me to do this. Uh, and that is that many of us would never say the things out loud that the pastor in Sacramento said. And uh, many of us would think that we would want to say out loud the things that Joe Jackson said. But what I want to ask you is, what's really in your heart? What's in your heart? If there's judgment in your heart, then you're tilting, you're tilting toward the pastor from Sacramento. 
if there's love in your heart, if there's acceptance in your heart, if you can look beyond someone's actions or behaviors and see broken people who need Jesus, then love is in your heart. And so I just want to ask today that you would think about the condition of your heart as you go through your life and through your world. Now, Jesus said this. He says, when you produce much fruit, he says, you are my true disciples. So we're talking about the fruit producing here and that you can know you're his disciple by the fruit that's produced. And he says, and this fruit will bring much glory to my father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. And then he says, remain in my love. Now, I'm going to quickly just walk through some ideas that will help us to grow in love, help us to be able to grow in love as the Holy Spirit does his work in us to help us to grow. Okay, the first idea is this. I need to expand. If I'm going to be a loving person, I need to expand my knowledge, my head knowledge, my information of God's love. I need to know his love. I'm going to use verses from Ephesians 3 to kind of guide us here. Beginning in verse 17, Paul writes, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love. So if my roots are in his love, what's going to be produced? Love, love. And it will keep you strong. And he says, may you have the power to understand. Circle that word understand. is key. That word in the... Original language, it means to grasp or to take hold of something, to seize it in your mind, to perceive it. The light bulb has gone off in some way to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. So love begins when we come to the understanding and we grasp how much God loves us And he loves us more than we could ever imagine. So much so that he allowed his son to go to the cross on our behalf. Now, John, when he was towards the end of his life and he was writing his epistles, in 1 John, he was reflecting on the knowledge of what God has done. I put these verses here from chapter 4, and John says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So love one another because it's from where? It's from God, okay? Love has been born of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God. You got that? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So God is the source of all love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a lot in there, right? There's a lot in there. I guess we could probably do a whole series just in that section right there. Well, John's talking about a kind of love that originates with God and comes from God. Since God is love, it comes from him. We didn't love God first, John says. John says that God loved us first. And then his love, the greatest example of his love, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him should not perish, but that that person should have eternal, abundant, flourishing life. That's what God did. And when we look at the cross, we see how much God loves us. 
we see the extent to which God went to show us his love. And when we, listen to this, when we could do nothing to earn his favor, nothing at all, he showed us his love by giving his son to die. When we had no love for God, no love for him at all, God demonstrated his love for us on the cross, and that's the love that God wants us all to know. He loved you when you were at your worst, at your worst, totally separated from him. That's his love. We didn't have to change one thing about ourselves in order to be loved by him. He loved us perfectly, and he loved us completely, just like we are. And when we know that kind of love in our heads, then that will help us to be able to frame the things that come at us in life so that we're able to express a different kind of love to others. But we have to know it in our heads first. But it's not just enough to know it in our heads, is it? Because the pastor in Sacramento knew it in his head, didn't he? It's not just enough to know it in our heads. We also must know it in our hearts. So the second thing is, is we must know it experientially. We must know it. We must experience God's love personally. We have to experience it. It has to be more than just knowledge. Paul goes on and says in his prayer, he says, May you experience or know from personal experience, know from interaction, the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. So just so you know it, just so you're never going to be able to plumb the depths of it. It's too great. Just like we did the Know God series, we said there's no way we can ever know God fully and completely, and all of eternity we'll still be learning more about God, and that's one thing that'll make heaven so wonderful as we can continue to learn more and more about God for all eternity. We will never be able to understand it fully, but then he says this, then you will be made complete as we understand it, as we experience it, with all the incomplete, with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So we need to, we have to know it, but we have to experience it as well. Now, a way to experience it is to just know how God looks at you. And Jesus expressed that in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 9. She says this about Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I wonder how many times you think that God's looking at you, and can you experience this, that he's looking at you, and there's not anger on his face or his eyes. There's not disappointment in his eyes or on his face. But when he's looking at you, he's looking at you as these words said about Jesus. He's looking at you with compassion. His gaze is on you, and his gaze on you is with compassion. Now, for me personally... If I were you, I'm sitting in a chair today, I'd be thinking, well, that's great. That's just more knowledge, Ron. And I agree, it's more knowledge. But what I would encourage you to do, that this is where the work comes in, is that we need to rest. We need to learn to rest. We need to learn to experience the fact that Jesus, and it may not happen here today, that Jesus is looking at me with eyes of compassion. That will transform your heart, folks. When you change the message in your mind that I'm not accepted, that God is angry, that God is disappointed, to Jesus is looking at me even though I'm broken, even though I've made mistakes, he's looking at me with love and eyes of compassion. It will change your heart. And when our hearts are changed, then we will more better be able to share the love of Christ with others. Okay, third idea is this. Third idea is I will grow in love 
as I embrace God's love fully. Now, this one, I'm not going to have time to, to kind of work this one out. Uh, over the series, we'll work this one out more. Uh, but uh, what I really want to uh, just kind of lay the uh, foundation today, okay? Just lay the foundation a little bit. So here's what we're talking about. We talked about I need to know his love, I need to experience his love, and then I need to get this. I need to own his love. You got it? Own it. It has to be for me. It has to be for me. And I have to see myself as loved, and it's about identity. And so uh, I just love this concept. It's about you being able to see yourself this way and then here's what happens. In fact, let's just read it from Ephesians 2, because that's what it's talking about. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what he's saying here is that before time ever existed, that God designed it in a way that when we came to know Jesus, that when we came to know Jesus, we would have a new identity, and that new identity would be as a son or daughter of the, the Most High God, and uh, as we understand ourselves as the son or daughter of the Most High God, that inside of us he plants this seed that we will become who he said we are. That we will become who, we said, who he said we are. And so he's calling out that we would truly become people who are like Jesus. Can you imagine that? He's calling that out of us. This is how he wants us to become. This is how he wants us to respond, is that he planted the seed in us, and now he wants the seed to grow into the fruit that we will look like Jesus. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So we are now Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God so we have to own it, own his love, own our identity. And then the last idea is this. I grow in love as I express his love freely. I express his love freely. By the way, this is the real test, okay? This will be the test today of how we've been transformed by love. This is how you can kind of test yourself today. How we've been transformed by love. When we know God, when we experience God, when we own it and we realize that as a follower of Jesus, part of his family, this is how people in his family act. They act in loving ways. What happens is then we're going to be moved with the same compassion that Jesus had for those who were broken and hurting. We're going to be moved with that same compassion for other people. We no longer, as we look at others, simply change the channel in our minds to something that's more pleasurable. We no longer callously push people away because they are different than we are in some way. Instead, we begin to share freely the love of Jesus with those who need the love of Jesus. Because we know that the answer to our world's problems is Jesus. The answer to our world's problem is Jesus. And so we care about those who are hurting and broken and that need the love of Jesus. And so what happens then, as God sacrificed for us, we start being able to exhibit agape love, and we can start a sacrificing for others so that they can experience his love. Matthew, Mark 12, Jesus is, was asked what's the most important thing we can do, and he says this, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And he says, by the way, there's another one. 
The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just that we go to church and we sing songs and we hear teachings and we worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that we serve. We give ourselves away so that other people can experience his same love. So here's the deal. Here's the test. If your love for others is not growing, then your love for God is not growing either. But if your love for God is growing, I mean, yes, growing, then your love for others will grow as well. And that's what James Merritt says. I was just reading his quote there. He says, if you love God, your love for others will grow even greater. For this upward love supernaturally produces love for others. Okay, so this is where I'm going to leave with a challenge today. And so we're going to go just a little bit over today uh, because I really want to take time today for us to understand the challenge And so I want to begin with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, okay? It won't be on the screen, so this is where you're going to have to really engage with your mind. Dr. Martin Luther King, in one of his famous speeches, says this, I have decided to stick with love, for I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems. And I am going to talk about love everywhere I go. I know it's unpopular to talk about it in some circles today, And I'm not talking about some emotional rubbish when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love, and I have seen too much hate. And I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I have decided to love. I have decided to love. And that's what Jesus is saying, folks. He's saying, you can know if the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you by your love for others, by your love for others. But here's the problem, okay? Here's the problem. Let's just be real honest, okay? When those outside the church, those outside of God's family, when they hear about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When they hear those words and they say, oh, that's what Christians are supposed to be like, they say something like this. Hey, no offense, but I don't think I would use words like those to describe the followers of Jesus I know. And that's reality, folks. They go to church, but I really think something's missing as I look at this. And I just ask, could it be that we've given lip service to following Jesus? Could it be that we've given lip service to the fact that God loves us, but we really haven't understood it? We really haven't experienced it and embraced it. We really haven't owned it. And so, therefore, we can't express it. But Paul and Jesus calls us to the whole package. And, folks, we live in a day when people who claim to be Christians are doing things and saying things and behaving in ways. They're spitting on folks in God's name, and it boggles me how they can do that. It boggles me. We must allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow deep in our lives. And we'll know that by the way we love those who aren't like us or who don't like us or who have hurt us. 
We'll know that by the fruit. Dr. Martin Luther King went on to say, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So my brothers and sisters, I challenge you to be ambassadors of love today. And that's what he called us to. And that's what I think Jesus would call us to as well. So we're going to stand out. So everybody got a bracelet when you came in? I'd love you to wear it. Let me tell you why, okay? I want to read this verse to you from Philippians 2. It says this, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. Underline that. It's not on your notes. You can't underline it. Underline that in your mind, okay? (laughs) Shining like bright lights, shining like bright lights, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. So what I'm going to ask you is that during this series, and maybe you'll do this beyond, this is going to take us pretty much all the way up until the election, is that you would wear this everywhere you go, and that uh, even you nonconformists, or you're thinking, I'm not doing that, I'm going to challenge you, okay? That, that, yeah, I'm a nonconformist too, except when I lead it, okay? So, <laughs> so here we go. It says, stand out. It's a call to stand out. On the inside, it says, walk in the Spirit. So I'm going to be able to stand out as I walk in the Spirit. Got the, got the way it's going to work. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm going to stand out. So this, this, what this band is going to do first is going to remind you of the fruit of the Spirit as you're faced with the struggles and trials of life and your responses, okay? And it's going to remind you to pray, Holy Spirit, grow your fruit in me. Grow your fruit in me. Help me in this situation. Secondly... It's going to allow you to wear this in public, and in no long sleeves, okay? Wear it in public, and so others will see this, and they're going to say, what's that mean? And you're going to be able to say, you know what? I want to be like Jesus, and this is what this is calling me to do, and it's going to give you some chances to have some awkward, probably, conversations about Jesus, okay? And then the third thing is, and I love it, it's going to allow you, you're wearing this, you're going to be going to the grocery store, to the gas station, to the gym. As you're there, you're going to look over, you're going to see a blue band, and you're going to go, brother, sister, you're going to see someone else who's also wanting to stand out like Christ in their world, okay? Will you do it? All right. Let's pray. Jesus, this is all because of you. And Jesus, this is all for you. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be loving people. Jesus, I pray that you would just give us opportunity now this week to focus and meditate on how much God loves us. We saw in baptisms today the people that were going public for Jesus, because they've been said yes to you for forgiveness, and it was just an example of what you did for us on the cross. And I just think we miss that so many times. And I pray that you would help us to experience it, that you would give us moments of silence and solitude, that we would carve those out this week, and that we would just see you peering into our life with eyes of compassion. I pray that you would help us to act like we were made to act, to be who we were made to be, that we would own our identity. 
And Jesus, I pray now, because of this message, I've already had opportunities to express love in ways that I never would have or been aware. And so I pray that you would heighten our awareness and you would help us to be people who express your love. That we can be ambassadors who influence our culture for the common good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.